I'm Allie J. And I'm Crystal O. And welcome to Not Your Token Black Girl, where we recover from spreading black girl magic wherever we go. From careers and cocktails to men and mental health, we're breaking it all down on what it means to wear the token crown. So if you've ever said, I'm not your token, fill in the blank, then this podcast is for you. A fun and witty show that's a little bit shady, but 100% true. It's Saturday brunch combo with the girls in a quick 20 minutes. Now let's get started. On today's episode of Not Your Token Black Girl, we're tackling college experiences with Dr. Erica Sutherland, a communication strategist, educator, and philanthropist. Does it really make a difference if you attended a PWI or an HBCU? Today, we've got Dr. Erica Sutherland with us. So, Dr. Sutherland, what do you want us to call you? How do you like people Erica. to address you? Usually, Erica is perfectly fine. Um, I'm very kind of low-key. I only typically okay. use doctor when I'm, like, angry with customer service people. Then I require them to call me doctor. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Yikes. But for the most part, Erica's fine. Cool. Erica, tell us a little bit about yourself. Sure. Um, well, my name's Erica. We've covered that. And um, yes. <laughs> in terms of today's topic, um, I've had a bit of experience across PWIs and HBCUs. I am a very, very proud HBCU grad, but I'm also a very proud PWI grad twice. So, and I have, as a professor, taught um, across both of those types of institutions from small to large, public to private etc. And I also am a public relations, communications, digital marketing professional. Um, my profession tends to change by the day given the technology and the news industry, but uh, that's a very brief synopsis of um, why I'm here talking to you all today. Lovely. So you do everything. You are every woman. Yeah. You know what? On some days, <laughs> I feel like I'm trying to do everything. Um, and, you know, it's a work in progress. I love it. I love it. All right, so let's just jump straight in. Big question. Are HBCUs still relevant today? Easy answer, absolutely. And the reason I say that um, so quickly and easily is because more so in today's environment than probably any other time, students, college students of all walks of life, ages, et cetera, need to have choices. No one is asking that I've heard, and I, as, though I've been in and out of academia, I've never heard anyone asking our women's colleges still necessary, our yeah. um, re- religious-based colleges still necessary. No one's asking if Brigham Young is still relevant. No one's asking if Wellesley is still relevant. Um, right. So HBCU is just another type of niche college or university that people can choose. So yes, that, that choice still should and can be available. So let me ask you a follow-up question to that. Or go ahead, Alex, you go. I I mean, I was just going to chime in and say that I didn't really, I didn't have the privilege to go to an HBCU, um, Mm -hmm. you know, and I think in terms of relevance, I think it, it does like shape your experience a little bit more. And I really would have loved to go to an HBCU. My husband actually did. Um, <laughs> okay. And he tells me all the things, right? Like, you, but you know what? I, my experience relevant, was priceless. Yeah. Yeah. 
Um, but I, I think that, and I've heard that actually quite a bit from different people, even my own mother, who, you know, is a, a different generation. She, she chose the PWI, her brother, who was only a year older than her, chose an HBCU. And she remembered, um, she still remembers visiting him when they were in college in the 1970s um, and was talking about, wow, this is, you know, I wish I would have done this, but she also loved her college experience. So I think that, you know, there's, there's pros and cons, um, and different experiences that can all be wonderful across different types of places. So I have to admit, and I don't want to lose my black card from this, so (laughs) be nice to me. Mm -hmm. The thought of an HBCU never even crossed my mind when I was a junior and senior. So Mm -hmm. how can minority students who live in a racial bubble um, because okay. the topic, our, you know, our, our theme of this podcast is not your token black girl. Um, right. And it's kind of taking back our power. But most of our lives, at least for most of my life, I'll speak for myself, I was the one and only. So when okay. I was looking at colleges where I wanted to attend, I shied away from the HBCUs because I didn't know if it would be too much of a culture shock. Would I fit in? Like, okay. How, so how can people who are maybe currently in my position or could be in my position in the future, maybe some of our younger listeners or, you know, our moms who might have children who are in that situation, how can they gain exposure to see if they could thrive in that situation? And I I, I think it's sad because you should always feel like you can thrive amongst your own. Um, But sometimes it's a little nerve wracking when you go from being the only one in an environment that you've grown up into, into a sea of people that look like you. Sure, I totally understand that as as an educator and as someone who has personally been somewhat in that position before myself, especially earlier in my childhood and my schooling, um, I was in, you know, very, very much majority-based schools and neighborhoods, et cetera. By the time I got to high school, my high school was a little bit more diverse, um, definitely still not majority Black, um, but I wasn't the only one either. But what I did notice, mm-hmm. even in my high school, was that counselors um, weren't necessarily promoting HBCUs. Um, they didn't come to visit our schools, and to the point, furthermore, that some counselors even pushed against Black students going to HBCUs um, because yeah. of sometimes there is that stereotype of, um, well, you know, they're not an example of the real world, or you want to get, um, you know, a diverse experience because your workplaces are going to be diverse, and you need to learn how to get along with everyone in the world, or again, someone in your position where. I'm going to stick to what I'm comfortable with and I'm comfortable with, you know, my upbringing, which in which I was very much a minority. Um, And I'm used to that, that that level of balance in my life. So I want to keep that same ratio because that's my normal. Um, And so all of those things are very, very relevant. And so to answer the question about um, how can more students get exposed to an HBCU as a choice, even, um, as you mentioned, you didn't even consider it. And honestly, um, like I said, I have somewhat of a similar situation. I applied to one HBCU out of the five or six colleges I I applied to. So I wasn't dead set on HBCU. I wasn't, um, you know, determined to go to an HBCU. the HBCU that I chose, and I'll mention that in a minute because I'm going to come back to your experience, Crystal. Um, the HBCU that I chose um, went back and forth between being my first and second choice. I went between my HBCU and University of Michigan, which is very much not an HBCU. Oh my gosh! Um, so, what? Yeah. So even <laughs> down to this was this was 
between January and February of my uh, senior year of high school, I was still on the fence, very much between those two. So when I say I went to HBCU and had a crisis experience, this is not something that, you know, I knew from kindergarten or even as a high schooler, for certain, this is what I want for myself. Um, So there were different factors in considering um, choosing that HBCU. But going back again to the first part about how more people can get exposed, I think that HBCUs as a whole have an, um, a responsibility to get their name and their brand and their experience out there to more communities other than predominantly Black communities or schools. Um, I think that's yeah. on the schools and, and organizations such as our sorority um, who are making kind of nationwide or worldwide efforts um, to get more people engaged um, or and or aware of HBCUs and help HBCUs with funding, et cetera. Um, yeah. Also, I think that in this age, and Crystal, you're a few minutes younger than me, <laughs> um, <laughs> um, but I know when I was looking at colleges, you know, it was brochures in the mail. The internet was very, very primitive. Um, I yeah. think there was a website. I definitely didn't apply online. It was a paper application and a handwritten essay. Um, and Jeez. there was very, very limited information if, if they were coming first. I know. It was a few minutes before you. I know. I know. Just for you, though. <laughs> we weren't that far behind. I know, like we weren't. I, but I think yeah. about it now, and I'm like, yo, I think I did a paper application listen, too. Yeah, I was listen. about to say I did a few paper applications. Listen, this like, whole like opening your envelope, that. you know, on this whole like, opening <laughs> your acceptance envelope on video with your parents behind you and doing a whole production. That's that's a different world, you know. For that was yeah, not a thing. Like, yeah. So now I would say to, to there's more information out there. You know, if you don't know anyone who ever attended the HBCU, if you don't know anything about HBCUs, Google.com can help right. you find out a lot of information. Um, you know, and, and I you want can to find out what to do. You know, yeah. Sorry, I talked Because I think, um, no, I, I just wanted to make sure I chimed in before we hop to the next topic, but um you know, I think to your point of like Googling and being more exposure at the HBCUs, I think yes. that just black culture in general is like, there's this new sense of like pride, right? That I feel More like mainstream, before, yeah. Yeah, right? So it's like now everybody wants to go to an HBCU because they're, everybody wants to feel a part and be a part of the right. culture and feel like they have that connection. And I can honestly say that is one, like, I still think about, it. I remember being in school where I'm like one of few, you know, of the black kids growing up. Yeah. And mm-hmm. I always was like, I want to go to Spelman. I want to go to Spelman. Um, and that's what I thought when I was younger. But then when it was time to apply, I did get a little pushback from counselors. And like, mm-hmm. I had the school that I went to that was like, really wanted me to come there. So there was all these different elements. And I didn't have like a Insta or Twitter to show me like, no, these right. schools are cool. Like this, these schools, these people are getting the educations. You have this, you know, like it just wasn't right. there. Um, and there are alumni out here thriving and, you know, yeah. not, I'm not alumni from 150 yeah. years ago, like people like from last year who are doing big things. Yeah. You know? yeah. 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 That's, that's no, a big part of the internet. 
social media and I think just the world we live in too, you know, with black culture in general becoming more mainstream, but HBCUs as well, you know, this this racially kind of tense, kind of very polarized country that we live in now um, was, was not a part of our world when we were looking at colleges. I mean, it was there, Correct. but it wasn't like just in our face all day, every day, like it is now. Um, and especially, you know, like I said, I'm a few minutes older. I was looking at colleges, you know, in the late 90s, early 2000s when, yeah. you know, the economy was great, you know, 9-11 hadn't happened yet. Like the world was like a different place. And maybe that's, you know, I had a child's perspective. I didn't have to deal with things in the world like I do as an adult and a parent and a professor and things like that now. But, you know, I think that where we are as a world and a nation um, causes people to be um, at, at least at a very base level, more aware that HBCUs, again, are a, a very valid choice that they could make. And I just wanted to shout out my school real quick. I told you I was coming back to this. I am yes. a proud graduate of the Hampton University in Hampton, Virginia. Yes. And I, you know, I could go on and on, but I won't because I know we have limited time. But I wanted to speak to specifically, Crystal, what you mentioned about not wanting to be the only one, not wanting to feel um, so much of a culture shock that you, you know, um, couldn't thrive. Um, because all yeah. college freshmen have a bit of a culture shock and an adjustment period. But Hampton, I would say probably more so than a lot of other HBCUs. And I say that from my teaching experience, from all the people that I know, the group chats that I'm in, the um, the research that I've done. Um, Hampton is a very unique HBCU in that I would say Hampton is full of a lot of a lot of kids like you were, who, you know, yeah. went to, um, I met people who went to boarding schools, who, you know, grew up you know, going on lavish international vacations, you know, as a child, you know, people who, um, again, just very much didn't fit the traditional black stereotype mold. Um, not, not, and I don't want to give the impression either that everyone at Hampton, you know, comes from, you know, significant means. Um, there is a, a large group of those students, but it varies just like any other school pretty much. For sure. Um, but but Hampton, and it doesn't even mean you have to come from me. Yeah. It's more so about exactly. you know going from being the only one to right exactly. Yeah, I want full of people who are the only one. <laughs> yeah. Say that one more time. Yeah, I, and I would say Hampton is Hampton in particular. I know for a fact is full of people who were the only one or were in a very small number, and I think that that's what attracted them to even look at an HBCU in particular. But that school. Um, and so that was kind of on a broader sense. Um, I think that people, I would like for people to have a better understanding of HBCUs are not monolithic. Um, so there may be an HBCU in your neighborhood or that you know someone who attended. That doesn't mean that they're all like that one. Um, so just like right. you would with any other college, you have to do your research and find out which one is a good fit for you. So on that note, what should people be considering? when they are looking at kind of like the situation you were in, do I want to go to a PWI? And for those of you who don't know what PWI HBCU, PWI is predominantly white institution. HBCU right. is a historically black college and university. So it's, I think we've talked a lot about the culture that you can experience on these campuses, but there's other things that I know I have to take into consideration, you know, the amount of financial aid, the location, yeah. um, the mm -hmm. strength of those education programs, the accreditation right. and, um, and, you know, how strong of a network their alumni associations were. Right. Can you talk to us in your experience what people should be considering, what's relevant for them to be considering? It's not just how lit homecoming is going to be 
what are some right. legitimate Absolutely. things that people should be looking, even though that's important. Yes. What should, yeah, what yeah, legitimate things they should be considering? <laughs> I think I think all of those things you just named are super relevant, um, and because because you want to look at what are you trying to get out of this degree, um, and how is this university going to help me get where I want to be in life, and as an adult and as a professional, um, all of those things are important. Just like again, like you would look at with any college. I think also what people really really need to consider um, is what experience do you want to have? If you, and I'm speaking specifically now for, you know, it's a different discussion with non-traditional students, but if you're a traditional fresh out of high school, going to college for the first time, um, potentially away from home for the first time, um, college is a priceless, undergrad college is a priceless experience in your life and a, um, a very important part of your life, and it helps define who you will be for the rest of your life um and so what experience do you want to have now that's a lot of pressure to put on a you know 16 to 18 year old kid but you know in 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 coordination with their parents and other people in their family or people who care about them these are things you want to think about so experience yeah that does include things like homecoming but also um, what type of classroom experience do I like small classes or large classes? Do I want to be far from home or close to home? Do I want a, um, a university with suite style dorms or traditional dorms? Um, or do I want to have to live off campus in an apartment? Can I have a car or not a car? Um, if you're looking at if something like Greek life is something of interest to you, what, what does Greek life or any other type of student activities look like on that campus? If I'm interested in a certain sport, is that available? What are the, if I'm looking at, you know, really making the sport a career, what are the prospects for that? So I think that what people, you know, for some reason, people look at HBCUs differently. I really, really want to enforce that, you know, HBCUs are an option that you can choose for college. And all of the factors that you would consider in looking at any college or university are the same parameters you use to decide if I want to go to an HBCU, and then if so, which HBCU. Like I said, I applied to one. There was one particular school out of, you know, all of the HBCUs that I was interested enough to apply. Um, so I think you have to do it, and that's with my, you know, brochure and primitive internet research. <laughs> so, um, you know, so those are, you know, those, those considerations go across the board for any type of college experience you're looking for. Fair. Well, let me flip it on you. So we've talked sure. about the experience from a student perspective. Mm-hmm. If you had to pick working for or teaching at a PWI versus an HBCU, which would you choose and why? Sure. Oh my gosh. That actually is a much harder question because I've had really good teaching experiences um, at both types of institutions and I've had some really challenging experiences at both. Um, Well, let's talk about that. Yeah. Um, Okay. So challenges that I've had at each. Um, Challenges that I've had at um, PWIs or what we call kind of in the higher ed industry, uh, TWIs, which is traditionally white institutions because there are um, schools that are not designated as HBCUs, um, but have through time gained a majority black population. That's different from the HBCU. I'll let your listeners Google the difference, uh, but I want to point that out. Mm -hmm. Um, That's an important (laughs) um, distinguishing fact. Um, I didn't know that. Yeah, so um, it's a thing. because HBCUs, just very, very quickly, have a federal designation. They were schools that were founded primarily for the purpose of educating African-Americans prior to 1964. 
If your school was founded, educate in, me, honey. Yeah. Educate <laughs> me. So that's a very brief. Like I said, if you're if you're listening, yes, interested, I'm sure I'll drop my contact information at the end. Or again, Google.com is your yes. friend. Um, yes. But schools that are PWIs or TWIs, um, what I have experienced is just flat out racism. I've experienced people thinking that you know um, assumptions that um, I may not be as qualified as a professor. I've experienced, um, you know, why do we have to talk about, you know, the African-American perspective in this class? And I wasn't, and I am not one of those professors that, you know, pushes some sort of black agenda, you know, um, down students' throats, you know, on every yeah. subject that we're talking about. But for certain things, it's relevant to bring up. Um, because what right. I am is the type of professor who likes to use current events um, to make classroom material more relevant so if there's something going on that's you know racially motivated that's going on in the news I, I probably will use that um and not necessarily from the point of Erica's opinion but just hey this is a current event let's talk about how it relates to our lesson and I have yeah. gotten pushback of oh, why do we have to talk about that or why do we have to talk about it that way um why do we have to talk about you know diversity in our corporate communications class well duh but you know those are some of the things and I and not only from students but from from colleagues you know I've, I'm not going to name the, the university. I've taught it several, so no one probably would be able to guess. But I've been told mm -hmm. where the colored entrance used to be in this building. Um, so, and oh, that, wow. was from a, that was from a colleague, and I use that term very loosely. Um, so, <laughs> you know, some things like that. But what I, and I want to, you know, don't want to leave it all negative. I, I think I've ex experienced a lot of pros, you know, at PWIs or yeah. PWIs, in that, you know, the diversity in a classroom actually can be very, you know, helpful and very fruitful for a learning experience. Um, I, I've met friends from lots of different places that I may probably have never interacted with. Um, the diversity of colleagues and faculty is um, something that is always priceless. And just let's talk about infrastructure and technology, things like that. To be, um, you know, to put it in a very um, rigid box, which it's not in real life, for the most part, the PWIs and TWIs I've worked at tend to be a little bit more organized with the paperwork and a little bit more up on the technology. So those are always pluses because it makes my job easier. Um, yeah. But, you know, flip side for HBCUs, some of the pros are some of the things that you might get. So we talked about Black culture, you know, just being able to teach people who look like me and mold and mentor them is is absolutely priceless having colleagues that don't ask me about my hair um having you know um, soul food in, you know soul food in the in the faculty dining hall or, yes. or 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 colleagues that I can really socialize with like really not just you know what I call forced fun in the workplace you know like I really yeah. enjoy spending time with you outside of work because you know, we just have a lot of things in common. And again, not that I don't have things in common with people who aren't Black, um, but I think that there's a more familial atmosphere. atmosphere, yeah. um, And that is part of what HBCUs pride themselves on, no matter which one you go to. I definitely think it's more of a family-like atmosphere than a business-like atmosphere. Um, that I can say I've experienced across the board. Um, but also, you experience things like um, stereotypes, and I will say, you can have a culture shock at HBCU. Um, not everyone at HBCU is monolithic because, you know, all black people are not the same. You know, that's a stereotype. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. People, you know, of all different 
backgrounds and experiences and ways of life, that doesn't mean everyone is like you just because their skin color is somewhat similar. Um, and right. also there are, you know, there is a certain amount of diversity at HBCUs as well, especially um, the larger ones. There's a, there's a significant amount of non-Black faculty and staff. Um, so you're not in some Wakandan utopia, <laughs> you know. So I want to just tell you, know, like, listen, oh people have all kinds of stereotypes. So that's that. Um, but on the flip side, you know, HBCUs sometimes, um, you know, struggle with um, keeping up with technology infrastructure. A lot of times, not everywhere, funding is an issue. So, you know, building maintenance, things like that, available uh, availability of like on the faculty side, research or travel funds, things like that can be limited. Yeah. Um, not always, um, but those are more of the challenges I've had at HBCUs. Um, and also, like, let's be honest, um, like I said, not a Wakandan utopia. Black people sometimes aren't always as supportive and uplifting of other black people as we would like to publicize yes. <laughs> so yes. you know there there can be that too sometimes we don't treat each other like we're family um or we or a dysfunctional family <laughs> so um <laughs> you know like i said pros and cons to everything um i could go on but that just gives you a brief idea I love it. So if people wanted to continue the conversation with you, if they wanted to pick yeah. your brain some more, how could they get in touch with you? Sure. Um, Doc Sutherland on all social media, um, D-O-C-S-O-U-T-H-E-R-L-A-N-D. So at Doc Sutherland um, on, like I said, cross social media and Erica, Erica with a C. So Erica at D-O-C-S-O-U-T-H-E-R-L-A-N-D.com. If you want to email me, I'm happy to chat HBCUs all the time or send you some resources or point you in a direction. Um, I'm happy to do that. Um, and um, I'm happy to talk to you guys. So, thank you. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. This has been great. Oh, thank you for having me. This is Allie J. And I'm Crystal Lowe. And that's it for this week. Be sure to tune in next Sunday at 12 p.m. Central for another episode of Not Your Token Black Girl. And also, be sure to subscribe to our podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or Google. And follow me at Basic Alley on Instagram. Follow me on Instagram and Twitter at the Crystal O. 